0: Section 17 of The Science History of the Universe, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. The Science History of the Universe, Volume 2. Edited by Francis Rolt-Wheeler. Geology, Chapter 9. Destructive Agencies, Part 1. All superficial agents are manifestations of solar energy, as indeed is circulating water which penetrates a certain distance below the surface. These are usually termed destructive and reconstructive processes, words which describe the work rather than define them. It can scarcely be said that the matter of the earth is destroyed or that it is reconstructed, but it may perhaps be said that it is destroyed as one form of rock and built up again as another thus for example a granite cliff against which the sea dashes will little by little be borne away the particles thus worn away are sand and this sand under suitable pressure and heat will become sandstone a very different material from granite thus it is possible to say that the granite has been destroyed and the sandstone constructed but it must not be forgotten that the particles of matter themselves have simply changed their order of arrangement these two processes are complementary for since matter is indestructible and can have only its position and physical and chemical relations changed it is obvious that what is removed in one place must be laid down in another in studying the work of the surface agents the logical order of treatment requires that the destructive operations be considered first the agencies to be examined are one the atmosphere two running water three, ice, four, lakes, five, the sea, six, animals and plants. Of these various agents, the work is principally mechanical, but water, in its various forms, is a slow but extremely efficient agent of chemical changes. The atmospheric agencies are by far the most important of the destructive or denuding agents, because no part of the land surface is altogether exempt from their activity their work is described by the general term weathering, and is shown at once by the different appearance of freshly quarried stone from that which has been long exposed in the face of a cliff, or even ancient buildings. While such agents as rivers and the sea do work that is much more apparent and striking than that of the atmosphere, yet they are more locally confined, and even in their operations the atmosphere renders important aid. There are, in the first place, the great differences of climate to be considered, differences in the amount and distribution of the rainfall, of temperature and of the winds, and, in the second place, the resistance offered by the various kinds of rocks to the disintegrating processes. The outcome of these varying factors is to produce very irregular land surfaces. While the tendency of the atmospheric agencies is gradually to wear down the land to the level of the sea, yet in that process some parts are cut away much more rapidly than others, and hence the first effect of denudation is an increasingly irregular surface. The atmospheric agents may be conveniently divided into 1. rain, 2. frost, 3. changes of temperature, 4. wind. The work of the rain, which is both chemical and mechanical, varies greatly in accordance with climatic factors. Amount, frequency, and violence of the precipitation, together with its temperature and regularity, all modify the effect. Perfectly pure water would act upon rocks with extreme slowness, but such water is not known to occur in nature. The raindrops, formed by the condensation of the watery vapor of the atmosphere, absorb certain gases, chiefly oxygen and carbon dioxide, which very materially increase the solvent power of the water one of the first and simplest effects of atmospheric moisture consists in the hydration of the minerals exposed to it hydration the taking up of water into chemical union is an important agent of decay since it causes an increase of volume and thus greatly increases the pressure in the lower parts of the rock masses causing them to keep breaking into smaller and smaller blocks oxidation affects especially the iron minerals and thus brings about conspicuous color changes for iron compounds form the principal coloring matter of rocks and soils an especially important and widespread change is carbonation due to the carbon dioxide which all natural waters contain in greater or less quantity finally solution plays a highly important role in the destructive work of the rain all rocks contain some soluble material and when the soluble material is removed the rock crumbles into a friable mass, which, on complete disintegration, forms soil. This may be illustrated by a block of frozen earth, which is as hard as many rocks, being cemented by the ice crystals which bind the particles of soil together. When the ice is melted, the mass immediately becomes incoherent. So, in the rocks, the removal of even a small quantity of soluble material often causes the whole to crumble most igneous rocks are made up of crystals of some kind of felspar, associated with such minerals as augite hornblende, and quartz in granite for example rainwater slowly attacks the orthoclase by dissolving out the potash probably as carbonate and also a considerable proportion of the combined silica and the decompensation finally results in the formation of clay through which are scattered flakes of mica if mica were originally present and unaltered grains of quartz rocks which are themselves composed of substances derived from the decay of older rocks are attacked in their turn and yield material for new formulations these derivative rocks such as sandstones slates and limestones are affected in characteristic ways by the rain in a sandstone with siliceous cement the action is excessively slow atmospheric waters having very little effect upon silica but underground it is slowly attacked. The uppermost layers of red sandstone are completely disintegrated into loose sand, bleached by the removal of the iron which gave it its color. In sandstones and slates, it is the cementing substance which is removed, leaving the grains of sand or particles of clay unchanged, and with calcareous cement disintegration is rapid. Slates and shales, by removal of their soluble constituents, crumble down into clay limestones chiefly or entirely carbonate of lime are attacked by rainwater dissolved and carried away in solution while the insoluble impurities contained in the rock remain to form soil the gradual formation of soil by the disintegration of rock may be easily observed in excavations even shallow ones such as cellars wells railroad cuttings and the like at the surface is the true soil which is usually dark-coloured next follows the subsoil which owing to the absence of vegetable matter and the less complete oxidation and hydration is of a lighter color by imperceptible gradations the subsoil shades into what looks like unaltered rock but is friable and crumbles in the fingers this is rotten rock from this to the firm unchanged rock the passage is equally gradual the mechanical effect of rain is less extensive perhaps than its chemical work of disintegration but it is very important nevertheless under ordinary conditions this mechanical work consists in the washing of soil from higher to lower levels how considerable is the movement of soil that has been thus brought about may be imagined when one sees after a heavy rain the rills which run over the slopes muddy and charged with sediments and how turbid the streams become with the soil which the rain washes into them. The mechanical action of rain is greatly increased by extreme violence and volume of precipitation. A single cloudburst will do far more damage than the same quantity of rain falling in gentle showers. One of the most remarkable monuments of rain erosion is exhibited by the curious districts in the far western states known as the Badlands which cover many thousands of square miles in the Dakotas, Nebraska, Wyoming, Utah, etc. The bad land rocks are mostly rather soft sandstones and clays, with prevailing calcareous cements, and formed in nearly horizontal beds or layers. The rainfall is light, the torrential showers sometimes occur, but the absence of vegetation is favorable to its efficiency, and the present aridity of the climate is not of very long standing from a geological point of view. The chemical action of the rain has disintegrated the rocks by dissolving out the calcareous cement, and then the debris so formed has been mechanically washed away. Differential weathering, or irregular disintegration, has resulted in that remarkable variety and grotesqueness of form resembling the ruins of gigantic towers and castles, for which the bad land scenery is famous. The removal of the protecting vegetation is often speedily followed by disastrous results and especially the reckless and wanton destruction of the forests, which has gone on in this country ever since its settlement by Europeans, has been followed by the loss of valuable soil on a vast scale. The term frost, as a surface agent in dynamical geology, is restricted to the freezing of water. Water is one of the comparatively few substances which expand considerably on solidifying this expansion amounts to about one-eleventh of the original bulk of the water, and, exerting a pressure of somewhat more than two thousand pounds per square inch, it takes place with irresistible power, bursting thick iron vessels like eggshells. All rocks are divided into blocks, by joints, and are traversed by minute crevices, rifts, and pores, all of which openings take up and retain quantities of water, as may be readily seen by examining freshly quarried stone the water freezes and forces out the large blocks and shatters them into pieces of smaller and smaller size the fragments thus formed are called talus and great accumulations of such blocks are formed at the foot of cliffs in all regions where the winters are at all severe alternate freezings and thawings not only break up rocks but cause the broken fragments and soil to work their way down slopes each freezing causes the fragments to rise slightly at right angles to the inclined surface and each thawing produces a reverse movement, hence the slow creep down the slope. Immense accumulations of frost-made talus are to be found in such places as the foot of the palisades of the Hudson, and at Sherman, where the Union Pacific Railroad crosses the Continental Divide, the ground is covered for miles with small angular fragments of granite broken by the frost. Sudden changes of temperature form another of the processes by which rocks are broken their influence is greatest where the changes are most extreme, as in arid regions, especially high mountains and plateaus. The exposure of a naked rock to the burning rays of the sun, followed by the rapid radiation in thin air, causes extreme expansion and contraction. As, however, the heat has penetrated some distance into the interior of the rock, and the surface cools first, the cause is that of a cooling exterior trying to contract upon a heated, expanded interior the rock not being susceptible of sudden elasticity, the interior refuses to contract in obedience to the demands of the exterior, and when the latter endeavors to contract the passive resistance of the expanded interior, causes the surface to crack and break. Certain rocks, notably granites, exfoliate under extreme temperature changes, that is, the surface portions split off in large sheets, which may be of almost any thickness, and are either flat or, more commonly, are curved. The effect is frequently the disintegration of rocks into minute fragments. This is especially noteworthy in those igneous rocks which are coarsely crystalline. The force of the wind, bearing particles of sand, acts like emery and becomes a disintegrating agent of importance. This agency is of small efficiency in regions of ordinary rainfall, because in these the soil is protected and held together by its covering of vegetation. But on sandy coasts the force is intense. In a Cape Cod lighthouse, a single heavy gale so ground a plate-glass window as to render it opaque and useless. Glass is far harder than many rocks, so that the latter are quite rapidly abraded and cut down by the drifting sand. The softer parts are cut away first, leaving the harder layers, streaks or patches standing in relief. In this way, very fantastic forms of rocks are frequently shaped out. Potholes and caverns are excavated by the eddying drift and archways cut through projecting masses isolated blocks are sometimes so symmetrically cut away on the under side that they come to rest upon a very small area and form rocking stones which in spite of their size and weight may be swung by the hand slowly as they work the wind and temperature changes prevent any complete stagnation in the circulation of material and thanks to them the processes of disintegration of rock and transportation of soil are kept up even in the driest deserts. The source of all running water, says Scott, whether surface or underground, is atmospheric precipitation. The rainwater which falls upon the land is disposed of in three ways. One part is returned to the atmosphere by evaporation. Another part flows over the surface to the nearest watercourse. The remainder sinks into the soil to a greater or less depth and though some of it is returned to the surface in springs yet a great part must reach the sea by subterranean channels the relative proportions of these three parts of the total precipitation vary much in accordance with the climate and with the topography of the land surface at a depth below the surface which varies greatly at different times and places the soil and rocks are saturated with water which is called the groundwater near bodies of surface water it may be very little below the surface of the ground while in arid regions, with irregular topography, it may sink to great depths. In the eastern United States, the groundwater is encountered at depths of 1 to 100 feet, as is shown by the countless wells which are supplied by it. In the plateau of the Colorado River, which is dissected by profound, deep canyons, the groundwater is, in places, nearly 3,500 feet from the surface. The level fluctuates with the rainfall, rising in wet seasons and sinking in dry. It is usual to regard the groundwater as everywhere penetrating to great depths, but as Spur briefly says, it is probable that the universal presence of groundwater is characteristic of a comparatively shallow surface belt, below which the water which has not again been drawn off at the surface at a lower level or has not been used up in hydration processes is concentrated into the larger fissures. The factors which determine flow are the inclination of the stratified rocks the alternation of porous and impervious beds and the character of the joints and fissures and not surface topography the water seeping downward through the joints and bedding planes exerts its solvent and decomposing action upon the walls of these crevices in the manner already described in connection with the work of rain down to the level of the groundwater, or in the shell of weathering Percolating waters are the great agent of decomposition, and therefore always contain more or less mineral matter in solution, the nature and quantity of which depend upon the character of the rocks traversed. Below the groundwater level, in the shell of cementation, the effects are more reconstructive than destructive, though solution and alteration of minerals continue at these lower levels. In passing through limestone, percolating waters dissolve channels which sometimes enlarge into caverns, the mammoth cave in kentucky covers several square miles and professor shaler estimated the length of the passages at ten thousand miles when underground waters become highly heated through contact with hot volcanic masses their solvent efficiency is greatly increased rocks penetrated by such thermal waters are profoundly altered in character and composition except in caverns underground waters flow too slowly to accomplish direct mechanical erosion but indirectly they may bring about important mechanical changes. Masses of soil or talus lying on steep slopes, saturated by long-continued heavy rains, may have their weight so increased and their friction so reduced as to cause landslides. Rock slides occur in a similar manner. In 1903, at Frank, Alberta, in Canada, the entire face of Turtle Mountain fell and rushed across the valley in a huge avalanche of broken rock Estimated at forty million cubic yards. The effect of this seepage appears wonderfully in springs, which are merely the openings of the groundwater upon the surface due to the force of gravity, in that the source of a spring is always higher than its mouth. A spring usually is formed when a relatively impervious bed of rock, usually clay in some form, overlaid by porous rock crops out on a hillside. The groundwater saturates the lower layers of the porous beds until its descent is arrested by the impervious bed, and then the water follows the upper surface of the latter. When, by some irregularity of the ground, the impervious bed comes to the surface, the water will issue as a spring or a line of springs. Other springs rise through a crack or fissure in the rocks. Inclined porous beds, enclosed between more impervious ones, allow the water to follow them downward. On reaching a fissure opening upward, the water will rise through it and, if it is under sufficient pressure, will reach the surface. An artesian well is an artificial fissure spring. It is a boring which taps a sheet or stream of the groundwater, when the water is under sufficient pressure to rise it to the surface or even spout high above it. The underground streams, of which springs are the outlets, often have affected much in their way of dissolving rock material and hence spring water always contains dissolved minerals, principally the carbonates and sulfates of lime and magnesia, and the chlorides of magnesium and sodium. In mineral springs, the quantity of dissolved minerals is larger and perceptible to the taste. The narrow bed of a river has the effect of making its destructiveness more apparent, but as a whole rivers are less potent than the atmospheric agencies. A certain amount of solution and decomposition is performed by rivers upon the rocks of the bed, and in limestones this may be considerable especially if the water be charged with organic acids from a swamp or a peat bog as in the case of the wind the stream merely supplies the power the implement with which the cutting is performed is the sand pebbles and other hard particles which the water sets in motion these abrade the rocks against which they are cast just as the wind driven sand does but more effectively because of the ceaseless activity of the stream and because many rocks are rendered softer and more yielding by being wet. The mechanical work is dependent upon the velocity of the current varying directly as the square of that velocity. Angular blocks are speedily worn into cobblestones, and these into pebbles of spheroidal, or flat, discoidal form. A process of selection goes on, by which the softer materials are ground into mud the harder remaining as pebbles and sand sudden fluctuations of volume in a river so that it is now a rushing torrent and again almost dry is a much more efficient agent both of erosion and of transportation than is one which carries nearly the same quantity of water at all times or which fluctuates only slowly in eddies and at the foot of cascades the water acquires a rotary motion which is transmitted to stones lying on the bottom in a rocky bed these revolving stones excavate cylindrical holes often of remarkable regularity, called potholes or giant kettles. Unassisted by other agencies, a river cuts a narrow, steep-sided trench or gorge. As soon as the gorge begins to form, its sides are attacked by the atmospheric destructive forces, and a process of widening is begun. But this is very slow, and to widen out the gorge or canyon into a broad valley with gentle slopes requires a long period of time, determined by the activity of the climate and the resistant power of the rocks. Rarely is a river valley straight for any considerable distance, but takes a sinuous course with rocky spurs projecting alternately from opposite sides of the stream. This is true of even swift streams flowing through hard rocks, and the tendency is much exaggerated when the velocity of the current is diminished and the river bed is in soft materials, as in the lower Mississippi. End of chapter nine, part one.